Welcome to Seeds of Awakening, a podcast <laughs> with Kimberly Jacobson and Forrest Dwyer. And we're always so excited that you're listening. We are always so excited you're listening. <laughs> Thanks for being here um, to start this podcast. I wanted to read something um, from Kristen Lee, who's who we have interviewed today. So this is from her. Deadlines dominate. We're too tired. The kids get sick. We get lost in the vortex of our screens. Even in an era being called the age of anxiety and a mental health crisis, many of us struggle to place mental health on our never-ending lists, never mind keeping it at the top. Then the wake-up calls come. So I want to read that because Kristen Lee is an amazing person. She's been the head of the psychology department at Northeastern University, um, and she's written two books. We talk a lot about one called Mentelligence. And she takes a very honest and real look at the world we have today in the age of anxiety and ways to use mental health and some of the tools in yoga and health to stay on top of it in a way that doesn't feel like you're compounding lists on lists on lists. So um, we're really excited for you guys to listen to Kristen Lee. Yeah, and we talk about a concept that she breaks down in her book, Mentelligence, and this concept of spiraling up, right? So we're all so familiar with the downward spiral, but we talk about how to spiral up, which is this idea of unlearning and pivoting. So it's like how to navigate and relearn behaviors and tendencies and conditioning. And it's really an incredible conversation. Uh, we talk a lot about media and and in this age now, we're returning for this like this hunger for something real. So I just love it. And it, it goes along so perfectly with what we kind of practice and what we talk about in yoga. And it just seems to, to walk hand in hand really well. And I think you're going to love her. She's so relatable. And she really breaks it down in a way that's accessible and understandable and funny. She's such a little firecracker. She moves a million miles a minute. Um, and so she's just so much fun to have a conversation with. Yep. And one quick apology. We, we were on the road and it was one of our first interviews. So the audio isn't as great as we would have, we would have loved and as the future episodes will be. So bear with it. It's certainly a conversation worth listening to anyway. Another huge thank you to Malachi for letting us use his single, The Woods. start and just get an understanding of how you got started in studying psychology and really the self and I think overall probably positive mental psychology and like what yeah. kicked you off way back when yeah so it's so great to have this conversation with you and I think that um, one thing that troubles me is when we think about psychology historically it's oftentimes through a deficit lens so it's sort of this idea of like what's wrong or what's broken mm -hmm. or what needs to be fixed or just a lot of stigma around um, people who have lived experiences with mental health. Mm. And um, as I started to get involved in the field, it really, I think it oftentimes confronts people in terms of their own lived experiences and their own ways of engaging with the world. And what I soon discovered was that 
um, beyond looking at kind of like, you know, the deficit focus, when we start to look at a person's assets, their strengths, their resources, what makes them tick, what makes them thrive, you know, what, what are their values, their passions, those are the things that can often elevate someone, even if they might be in the thrust of depression or mm -hmm. marinating in anxiety, <laughs> right? And so um, when we look to focus, it's all where we focus our attention. Mm -hmm. And as you both know, right, when we're on that conscious path and, we, path and we focus our attention on the right things, that's what helps us to actually generate momentum in our lives. So mm. at a very early age, um, I started in the field and I started to discover that rather than just that hyper-focus on what was wrong with those who I was serving, when you really start to build on the strengths, you really see a whole different equation happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that really, you know, I think even like at a younger age, I was always like a reader and always inquisitive about story, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of like what helps someone, you know, generate resilience even in the face of difficulty and how did they come to see themselves and then make the progress that they needed to be elevated? Interesting. It's, it seems really easy to like build on a negative, mm -hmm. right? It seems easy to build negative, but not as intuitive to build positive. Is that true in any way or am I just making it up? <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> made it sound so great. So, I mean, I don't think you're making it up. I mean, when we look at the science, we know that, um, you know, there's all kinds of things at play. So first our primitive instincts are at play and then our social conditioning. Mm -hmm. And so from a societal perspective, again, if we think about our social institutions like schools or places of worship or communities, again, historically, I think the way that we look at ourselves and one another can be in more that negative lens. And what we've seen over time is this, uh, there's been such a surge in positive psychology and what we call strengths-based perspective. Mm -hmm. And what we understand, again, is that um, if we can redirect our energies and attention to those things, that's how we really catapult into a new dimension and a new way of operating. Um, but I think it's very easy. And I think, like, I tend to work with a lot of people who are high achievers. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> and, you know, no. just like the perfectionistic kind of crowd. So I think there's a lot of us that, like, are so conscientious and we want to do well in life but we think that it has to be like to a standard that's inhumane. Mm. Um, so, you know, looking at psychology through a strengths-based lens or a positive lens helps us to recognize like that we can embrace the fact that we don't have to do all those things and that we can just celebrate even like small aspects of ourselves or even embrace our quirks mm -hmm. and not see them in such like a self-sabotaging kind of way. Mm. Yeah, I know you, <clears throat> talk about it in your newest book, Mentelligence, mm -hmm. in Spiraling. Mm -hmm. And it's <clears throat> really easy to, or common. I think people know like I'm spiraling down or spiraling out of yeah. control, right? Yeah, the downward spiral. <laughs> it's real. It's real. <laughs> it's a real thing. It is. Um, are there ways, it sounds like there's ways to spiral up and be positive, right? Yeah. But are there ways that you know of to either stop spiraling down or kind of avoid those pitfalls to start? Yeah, so so much of it comes like in our mind's eye. And when we think about like our mental health, stress, psychology, human behavior, again, the meaning that we make of our environment, our situations, our perceived inadequacies or capabilities of coping, it's all like that appraisal process as they call it, or the meaning making of like what's happening and what we can do about it. 
So what's awesome, it, and like I love like the whole spiral thing. Like you guys know, I like we're more out about the spiral. The spiral, but, the spiral. But yeah, yeah, it's like an ancient symbol, and it, it represents growth and enlightenment and progress. And but again, historically, again, what dominates is this idea that like, oh my gosh, life is chaotic. I'm automatically like destined for doom here. Like everything's gonna fall apart, and we like mm -hmm. start spiraling into those catastrophic thinking patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and like you hear it all the time, like in everyday life, right? It's like oh, like he's on a downward spiral or like this one thing happened and it sets off this whole chain of events. Again, that's if we're putting our focus and energy around the idea that like if we make a mistake, that's it. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that one and done mindset that yeah. permeates society. Um, what we now see, um, there's a whole bunch of research coming out that says that if we start to build what they, they call it a positive emotional repertoire, like so thinking from a music lens, it's like we're just building like if we're able to find like that mindful moment, for example. So say your day is like total mayhem and crazy, but you can find that like two minutes with your mug and like be centered, then your brain is then recognizing what's happening and then that can be repeated and duplicated and expanded. And so the research has been showing this whole notion of this upward spiral and how, mm. the, how we can trigger them by building positive emotions in our toolkit, so to speak. So as I wrote Mentelligence, like all these different deliveries were coming to me from like different spheres. So um, one is like the human behavior, psychology, brain science sphere, right. but also on those like spiritual, metaphysical, human consciousness levels, a lot of things were kind of coming my way um, that I found really helpful. So um, in the book, I talk about the research of the upward spiral and, and what I just mentioned. But in every session, so I call my chapter sessions, yeah, which is like really the classic cool. yeah. therapist in me, right, and educator. Um, but it's this idea, um, I, I use this um, acronym, spiraling up. So it's unlearning and pivoting. So each session kind of gives us the opportunity to unlearn, again, mm -hmm. that negative indoctrination, mm -hmm. that like automatic thought that like we're in ruin if something's going wrong, or it must be me, or I must be the only one. And instead, we then pivot, so it's up, it's the unlearn, and then the pivot. Yeah. And that's about being agile and being able to say, wait, because this was really at the center of your question, like, how do you stop, like, focusing on the negative? It's yeah. the recognition that you're, you're finding yourself entrenched in these patterns. Mm -hmm. And that's the pivot. It's like, oh, wait, like, here I am catastrophizing, or here I am, like, thinking I'm the only one, or it's the worst day of my life, or it's like... It's never going to be like using those extreme like words like always or never. And instead the pivot is like, okay, what was actually the learning that happened in this alleged mistake? Or like um, with this pain and suffering that I'm going through, it's not going to last and it's actually going to serve as a teacher as I get my bearings and, and move along in my grief and discovery process. So um, that was really like just, you know, it's, I like love it because it's got, I've got the metaphor and the acronym. Yeah. So <laughs> you can pull that off happy as a writer. <laughs> but um, no, in all seriousness though, it's like just recognizing it's what you look for. And if we're paying attention to that capacity that we have as humans, we're very wired for resilience and recovery. Mm -hmm. But if we're only paying attention to like, you know, all the, all the mayhem, we can really like miss our attention on something that can help us, you know, really be elevated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're, you're talking about unlearning some things that could be pretty foundational beliefs though for mm -hmm. people, right? So like how do people in a 
you know, personal setting go and try to start unlearning some things that they might have believed for 20 years, 25 yeah. years, and might not even realize they believe uh-huh. and are holding on to. Yeah. I mean, one thing, you know, I'm really lucky to be at Northeastern in Boston with my students and I've been there for 10 years. And then before that, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been working in clinical practice. So you can imagine those I've served in my classroom, Mm -hmm. my therapy room, I've learned and unlearned so much like through that. (laughs) And what I would say about unlearning and sort of like, how do we endeavor that as people? Like, how Mm -hmm. do we even start? Because the truth is, I'm going to like give the disclaimer it's actually really disruptive. Yeah. It's really scary. Chaos. It's total chaos. <laughs> but part of this is like embracing that chaos and messiness to recognize like if we live our life according to blind comfort and what's always been done, what's always been told in an era where we have modern brain science, where we have completely different ways of seeing ourselves and engaging in the world, mm. the way we love, the way we work, the way we travel, like change is the only constant. Mm-hmm. So if we stay very rigid in those old pathways or we or like those old traditions, we might lose sight to have what I call a more integrated lens, a more like, you know, and it might be cobbled together. It might be imprecise. It might be messy, mm. but it's one that's deeper because it allows us to get to core values and not just like handed off ideologies. So all I mean by that is like in society, whether it's in, again, It could be a place of worship, it could be a school, a family, a community, a culture, a country. You know, there's certain like indoctrination or things that we're told Mm -hmm. about our particular in-group, like Mm -hmm. who we associate with, maybe who we look like or who we believe like. And we're sort of given this idea that like we're all on a team and we have to fight against people that aren't like us. And that was a big discovery as I wrote Mentelligence and really got into the research Mm -hmm. with my students from across the world. Mm -hmm. If we really want to be conscious and know our capacity to connect as global citizens, we have to watch out because our minds like crave that blind comfort. They like, we want to kind of like be sure we know something or that our group is right. And that kind of group think is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. We, um, we saw it like your Q and A at mm-hmm. Trident, mm-hmm. and I, you, I think you mentioned something that was kind of along the lines of like, this is, it's not an easy book. Yeah. And it's, it's actually mm-hmm. a great read. Like, it's a terrible for, marketing for, I know, terrible, <laughs> but... Um, they want the five easy steps, it's totally not. Well, but it's written in a way that's so accessible and keeps, and it keeps you reading. Yeah. But when it's actually time to do the work that's involved in those steps, then that's when that like messy <laughs> chaos happens. Yeah. And so I'm curious because I feel like we we see this in yoga, in meditation, in any mm-hmm. practice that you know someone's looking to grow and take yes. the next step of mm-hmm. deeper into themselves. And part of that is, you know, it starts and it's like, yes, I'm working on myself. And you start peeling back those layers and it starts to feel good and you start start to feel lighter. Yeah. And then you start to like sit in that chaos a little bit. And Uh that's when we start, I notice like people fall off the wagon in a sense. So is that something that you notice in, you know, in your work with Mm -hmm. maybe with your students Mm -hmm. or just with people you see one-on-one? And then what's, what's the best way you've seen to like, come back on the wagon like mm-hmm. we go through this chaos we go yeah. through the messy and what's the best way that you found to mm-hmm. work with that mm-hmm. I, I love how you put that because there really are 
No, but think about any like personal yeah. growth, like whatever, if someone's going back to school for like sort of the academic learning or through yoga practices and meditation, right? And all these things can be like so enlightening, enlightening, but also very disruptive and mm-hmm. sort of like, oh, like you just sometimes can hit those moments. Yeah. And I've seen that again in both my clinical work and my teaching work and in my own, what I call a soul exclamation, yes. which is like, oh, it's a lot. But I think that um, community is very important. Mm. And what I saw, you know, the foundational study that kind of like underpinned this whole writing project for me, um, and what I think that intelligence really speaks to people who are leaving like frameworks of origin, if you will, like leaving a way of doing things that they knew wasn't where they wanted to be. It wasn't sitting well in the marrow of their bones. They wanted deeper growth. They Mm -hmm. wanted deeper awareness, deeper connection. Um, But what can happen is, I think one of the main things is as you set out to do that, it can get very lonely very quickly. Mm. And I think that's where people kind of fall out if they're not staying connected to community and finding that deeper source that they can be really plugged into Mm. um but i think also sort of like knowing up front that like again like i think sometimes the way we package yoga or learning it can seem like so innocent at the time (laughs) (laughs) same with therapy so innocent like let's just you know just give me some strategies quick and i don't want to like go into the family stuff or all that but i think at the end of the day um what i've really overwhelmingly like experienced and seen is that that process, while disruptive, really can get your life back. Mm. And I think that it helps us to be more tuned in, more authentic, more present with ourselves and each mm-hmm. other. And I think just knowing it's going to be hard, sometimes that deters us at times, but I think at the end of the day, if we find community and we you know, we set out and we're getting the right resources, whether, again, that might be... There's all kinds of practices. Mm-hmm. And just immersing yourself in them and giving yourself that time. And again, that unlearning, and I call it purging of the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. in the book. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's a detoxification process. So sometimes you're going to withdraw and sometimes you're going to be yeah. all kinds of things. Yep. But at the end of the day, I think um, when we're setting out to do these things, it means a lot, not only for our own sake and our own growth, but then how we can then bring impact in our world and help other people recognize that they don't have to follow a certain script um, that they've been handed off or that they don't have to uh, like just you know bottle up all the stuff and then have health consequences or other think of all the consequences we're seeing in our world we're seeing a time where they're calling it the age of anxiety mm-hmm. where one in three of us are experiencing clinically significant anxiety yeah. I mean it's they're calling it a mental health global crisis we're seeing it on our college campuses. We're seeing it in five-year-olds who think they already have to know where they're going to college. We're seeing it in executives who are working 80-hour work weeks, not sleeping and collapsing. Mm. The number one reason people go to the ER is for heart palpitations. They think they're having a heart attack. It's wild. People who have heart attacks aren't even taking time to rest. So like this grim data. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is showing us something about this modern mix that really, like again, like you know, is just constantly inundating us with these ideas about like so-called success mm. that end up really being very damaging. So I do, you know, I guess like my pub- my publisher or people would be like, don't say it's not easy, but I appreciate what you said because I think there's a depth to the experience of going through this process, but also um, 
I'm very against pretentiousness <laughs> in academia. So like I'm a first generation college student myself. Um, I just believe like we need to talk real. We have to be honest. And I'm not about like, yeah. so in my work, I could definitely have written like textbooks, but this is something that is very raw. Mm -hmm. The very first thing I do in the book is talk about myself running down Boylston Street in Boston, <laughs> late for yeah. my therapy appointment. Yeah. And like, you know, that's a risk sometimes. Like people, you know, but I feel like, no, like I have to embody like what I really believe yes. on a deep level, our shared humanity, our shared experiences with anxiety, our shared overload, but I think also our shared desire mm. to spiral up and to yeah. grow and to evolve and to do things differently than what we're being, you know, baited to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how community might be the answer. And it also like this broader community where we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other is kind mm. of also becoming a problem. So yeah. it's an interesting ballast to find. <laughs> and I know you, I read a blog that you wrote um, that was on, you've, you're a self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist. Yes. And it was on this topic of one of the things that happens when you're a perfectionist is you're constantly striving for more and you like need to be yes. doing and doing and doing. Mm -hmm. And you wrote a line that I really wanted to read, which is, <clears throat> we are what Buddhists call hungry ghosts. Mm -hmm. No matter how hard we work to find comfort, we find ourselves perpetually empty because we've spent time building an identity on things that science proves does not leave us feeling whole and healthy. Mm. Which is, I think, lands with a lot of people, right? Yeah. So you're, you're saying essentially we're building an identity that science proves does not leave us feeling whole and healthy. So yeah. what are you doing or what have you found is helpful and outside of maybe finding a community that can support you? Like yeah. how are, how can we shift our work where it's not something that we're constantly striving for perfection, but something that's making us feel whole making us feel healthy. Mm -hmm. I love it. So um, one very simple way for us to think about it is positive psychologists talk about something called the good life mm -hmm. and they talk about human flourishing or eudaimonia and it's this idea that the good life again is characterized by community, presence with ourselves, with one another, our relationships, our enjoyment, our ability to even like enjoy the beauty of life and the dimensions mm -hmm. of life mm -hmm. versus the goods life. So that goods life is that hungry ghost, it's that like acquired identity through like whether it's letters after our name or like what kind of car we drive or like all the thing all that image bolstering stuff mm -hmm. and that's the goods life that we face in our society where like we're you know we're flooded with marketing messages and all these mm -hmm. ideas if we just have this next shiny thing that it's going to equal happiness but the Buddhists call this hungry ghost. It's just, and I, I also love to use like the um, Pirates of the Caribbean example of Jack Sparrow, like never full. Yeah. And then another way to think about it through um, psychology is the hedonic treadmill. So it's the idea that hedonic. Yes. Yep. So it's like this idea that like we strive, strive, strive to get these things, but our happiness set point just returns to the same level. So we like mm. think this thing mm. is gonna like the new iPhone upgrade or whatever it might be mm. that that's gonna like you know that thirty percent raise whatever that that's gonna make us happy but we typically like fall back in. Mm. What we do know again from the scientific perspective is that it's not really how we spend our money on ourselves. It's the time and the resources we devote to helping. This might sound kind of hokey, but like <laughs> healing the human condition mm. to uh, like bringing positive social impact. Again, that presence with each other, um, trying to elevate the human condition at a time when people aren't having dialogue. 
you know, it's such a polarized landscape where everybody has their side mm -hmm. and they fight and there's not any kind of listening or effective dialogue. So what we know is what really fills us is that ability to think deeper, to think more intention, intentionally and consciously, and then to really forge those communities of connection that are devoted to living beyond sort of like the me, 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 or like what I have, or just like that whole mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think just like how mindfulness has become very popular, I think it's also why minimalism has also really seen this tremendous surge mm -hmm. as well. Because it's so mm -hmm. sad. Think about like the messaging that's happening for all of us. It's all that stuff about acquired identity, what you have, what you say you do. And I would also argue, this is like a classic question I get, like, is it worse now? Like thinking of all like the stuff of today, the mental health crises, all the things. I would say that what has dictated and dominated so many of our upbringings, whether it's families or communities, it's what will people think? Mm -hmm. We have been historic. So it's not, because I think a lot of times like we've got Instagram, we've got like all that kind of stuff that is a huge factor for us. But I know lots of families, if you go back generationally, people would be mortified if someone thought there was someone in the family that had a mental health issue right. or if someone knew your baggage or your dirt or your alleged skeletons in yeah. the closet. So that whole line of thinking, what will people think? If everyone just stops and think about how much does that dominate your life and influence your behavior, mm. it's far more than what is healthy for any of us, mm. really. Yeah. Right? It's, it's gone yeah. on a long time. It's not new stuff. I know. Stephen Cope may have coined the saying, but he called it vain anxiety. It might be oh, a bigger saying, but yeah. it's this anxiety that we constantly have, and it's solely because we're thinking, what, what will people think? Yeah. And, and I'm also curious, like, how many, how many of us are aware that that's even happening? Like, right. that that's even a thought. Right. You know? Well, that's the whole purging. That's, like, the yeah. whole idea of this is the unlearning, because sometimes it's, like, we don't even recognize, like... And again, I think it's very easy to be like, oh, it's because of Instagram or this or that. But I think that whole thing, I think we've actually broken down some of that, not caring what people think and being mm -hmm. more honest. I think like from generation to generation, mm -hmm. we've made more progress than we think. But I think just that whole, like, I think it's all to do with shame. It's all yeah. to do with like shame and vulnerability and these ideas that like, again, we have to put up that like front for people. Mm -hmm. When honestly, the way we truly connect is through our vulnerabilities, through our honest moments, and in like that whole social comparison thing is just such a slippery slope. I mean, it's just silly to think like, you know, if you have a, a particular issue in your family or in your life, it's so silly to think you're the only one. The data overwhelmingly mm -hmm. says we're all like flooded with this stuff, mm -hmm. and all families have like their set of circumstances and conditions and. Again, I just think that's something like across the generations and across time, yeah. there's a lot more work to be done to just say, you know, we're struggling and like, it's okay. And, yeah. you know, I think that's what can like actually then help us to get to a better place together rather than feeling like, you know, isolated or lonely or stigmatized. Yeah. And right? you even, it's so true. And you even say in, in the book, you know, there's like a hunger for something real, like, you know, and we might not even be sure what that is, but yes. there's, there's definitely mm -hmm. like a hunger for like, give, like share a real emotion, share a real right. thought, because that's when we f start to feel more connected to each other as human beings. Um, and I'm, I'm curious because you work right at Northeastern mm -hmm. and 
you see, do you see predominantly like a younger generation? Is that who you see mostly like in university? Yeah. So, um, what's interesting is I think it's over 70% of students of today are Mm non-traditional. So I get the privilege of working with students across the lifespan from like age 18 to 70. That's amazing. Like countries across the world. Um, like varied culture, varied life experiences, perspectives. So I feel like incredible. Like that's why I always say my my students are my teachers Mm. because you learn so much by having like such a varied perspective. What we know about like the younger generation, like sort of that 18 to 22 year old cohort, um, it is just like such, it's such a high stress time. They even say like between the ages of 15 and 44, which is like, that's oh, a pretty, oh, like, that's well, not very hopeful, right? So my whole life. But that's like literally, you know, kind of like that time where again, it's like identity development, identification of like your values and what your path is going to be, mm. starting academic life, career life, family life, like all those things, right? So there's a lot at hand and, um, I don't know, just to get back to your point though, I think like when you said about like the craving for realness, mm. I think we want to be seen. Mm-hmm. I think we need people to see us. And again, like from that whole like strength-based perspective, thinking of like if we could mirror for each other. So this is kind of a thing in therapy we talk about, like how can we mirror for people? So it's this idea that like, and you know, like picture like you go to a hotel, right? And the mirror, I call it the mirror of death. Like we've like, cause sometimes hotel, like you just like see it's everything. Like, it's yeah. like awful. Or if you go to like a fun house and the mirrors make you look like TJ, 10 feet tall. TJ Maxx mirrors. Okay, like not. Mirrors of death. <laughs> All right. So even though TJ Maxx is great, so we're not yes, trying to diss totally, you guys. It totally but, is great. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you won't be getting any corporate sponsorship from TJ Maxx now. <laughs> so we're going to have to deal here. But um, yeah, I know. But think about like a mirror that would actually like reveal to you like your true essence and mm. your true beauty and really like give you that beautiful picture of how whole you are and even show you your flaws and quirks, but mm. not in a way where it's like, Meh, you know, <laughs> just in a way where it's like, oh, okay, like then I could like, what could I do or how could I be free about it or whatever mm. it is. But I think that we want to be seen and we crave it. And what I've seen um, over this past year, I think especially in my work where I've become more vocal about my lived experience with anxiety and I've like, you know, I did the Ted talk and it was like, boom, like, you know, it, you know, just, I haven't like shied away from those deeper discussions. Mm -hmm. And I think it's opened me up. It's opened me up in new ways. Um, I've kind of been cracked wide open and sometimes that's been really scary and hard, but it's also been really healing. Yeah. Um, but I think people are showing up like salivating for that realness, salivating for honest talk. And what I'm finding, and I I would imagine for both of you in the way that you're doing all this work and and so Mm -hmm. conscious is that you can immediately step over like 15,000 steps in conversation (laughs) and get right to the marrow. So fast. Right. (laughs) And that is so encouraging to me. That really shows me a lot about the way that the universe is aligned and the way that there's this divine orchestration and I think there's an intentionality like we're all just so hungry for it and I think again sometimes that comes because of all the poison and the political arena and the disparities at hand but I think it's a beautiful thing to see the ways in which people really want to be seen and then to also to do something to do something of significance that honors Mm -hmm. their values and who they are and to stop with this like nonsense that's at hand like 
this messaging yeah. that is like it's just so toxic yeah I think people are hungry for it but you you mentioned something in your own experience that is it's on a scale very terrifying to, yes. to be seen um, and I've been through that as well where it's it's really hard to be seen it's one of those things that I always think is going to get easier uh-huh. and it just never seems to get easier it's like right. I, I know it's going to be fine but uh-huh. I you know it was fine last time I did it and it'll be fine next time but I'm still going to be scared and so it's one of those things that I feel like is always scary every time that you're going to yes. be seen every time that you're going to put your authentic self out there yes it's so vulnerable to yes. people but there is an incredible response and I think we assume with social media and with everything that there's going to be this negative response and people are going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're, that's how you really are. Uh-huh. And it feels like every time people are just, yeah. they want to talk to you and they yeah. want to learn more about it. And yeah. it's amazing. I want to, on this point, you mm-hmm. did give a TED talk called The Risk You Must Take. Mm-hmm. You had one line that said, being real is the power skill of the century. Uh-huh. Which is like my f- new favorite line. All right. So, I just want to give you credit. <laughs> Make a meme I'm, or something, I'm, right? I'm going to be using this line all the time. Go but for it. I wanted to ask you along this lines, like, why is it so hard to be authentic? I mean, I don't know if you've done any more research on this in terms of why it's so hard and why it's so valuable. Obviously, it's valuable because it opens, it cracks you open. Yeah. And it also opens the door for people to be authentic with you, which mm-hmm. is huge. Mm-hmm. But it, like, what is so terrifying about it? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> but I think, you know, again, you, you know, I'm going to like dissect it on a deeper level. That's I perfect. think that it goes back to the in-group, out-group stuff that we are like taught right away. And it goes back to our society's marginalization of groups, whether it's because of race mm-hmm. or class or gender or sexual orientation or appearance, size, age, religion. So I think it has a lot to do with we are like there's real risks oftentimes, you know, for groups who are marginalized to mm-hmm. show up real because there's danger sometimes and there's right. punitive measures that have been taken and oppressive and horrible things. Right. So I feel like that has to be acknowledged. And I think when we can acknowledge that, that helps us look for something called intersectionality and that shared humanity and looking for the ways in which our societies have been hierarchical and power over mm-hmm. and leaving people out. Like, so think of again, like stigma, it could be, let's say someone has like a mental health condition and they've been like pathologized their whole life or stigmatized or made fun of or outed. Um, or someone is LBGTQ mm-hmm. and the same kinds of things right. have happened for them. So I think we have to look at some of those like deeper entrenched things that sometimes we like to sort of like try to put a neat bow on or like gloss over that are real factors for how we can actually show up. I think in addition to that, um, I think that we are very much wired. We talked about this before, but we are wired um, to want to fit in mm-hmm. and stand out all at the same time. So we have this like reptilian part of our brains, the reptile that wants to like you know, forge new paths and be adventurous and go our own way and, and be spontaneous and, and just whatnot. And then we have the mammalian side of our brain that craves comfort and community and connection and fitting in. So I think those forces, the reptile and the mammal, and like we're always at odds with each other yeah. because on one hand, like we really need, again, that safety of community. Right. But sometimes that comes at a point where then we fall again under that group thing. Mm-hmm. And we're not really truly like 
living with that global mindset or that intercultural or interdisciplinary or just way of operating in the world that's like allows us to really be more open and to connect in those kinds of ways. So it's very multi-layered, but I think it's, it's very much entrenched and it's like just from a young age, we pay consequences if we don't fit in. And so these illusions of being cool or fitting in or being part of things can deter us from really recognizing that like we're okay and everybody else is dealing with the same kinds of stuff. It just has a different fill in the blank. And how do we look for that like connection instead versus like just impressing someone? And if you think about like all that wasted energy of like impressing people for what? Like they're dealing with the same stuff. Just get to the get yeah. to the meat of it. Like why are we, you know, so again, I think it's it's multi-layered. And I also would give a disclaimer that being real and honest and showing up in these ways doesn't mean we have to wear all our emotions on our <laughs> sleeve or throw off emotionally on everybody or yeah. like, you know, I wouldn't want to say like overshare, but I think, you know, for any of us who go through significant loss or trauma, hardships, it's not always safe. Like you might, you have to find the people that can appropriately hold the space for you yeah so you know just to be like oh here i am and like you know all that you might not find yourself in a healing space when that happens mm -hmm. so i think again going all the way back around to that right. idea of community and safe yeah. space and connection and like appropriate disclosure and boundaries and the right timing mm -hmm. i think is also really important as well yeah that makes um, a lot of so sense. it just you know finding like those trusting relationships finding your tribe like Finding people that are also really open-minded and are, who are doing this work, again, I think is, is kind of a through line in a lot of our discussion tonight. Yeah, it yeah. is. And finding that community, it, it sometimes it, it takes a little time. It takes a little trial and error to, yeah. to it figure out. It takes yeah. right? It's a lot. Yeah, to figure out, you know, who, who those people are that can hold space. Yeah. You know, and know... And know when you're in a loop and know, you know, yeah. maybe how not to feed it more. Yeah. But also just to allow you the space to see it yourself. And yes. I think that's huge. And that kind of seems like a, a huge role that you've or you're stepping into and in playing with all the content you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. Is it's like encouraging people to to dive in and take a look at themselves, mm -hmm. but also holding space and creating this community by yes. doing all of these, you know, public events and talks and being so connected mm -hmm. with your students mm -hmm. and with your community so I mm -hmm. think that's that's really powerful mm -hmm. for them mm -hmm. to be able to start to like find like oh yes you we, uh -huh. we ride that same energetic wave great uh -huh. and might be might be a little faster for some to yeah. find that because of this yeah I like how you put that yeah mm -hmm. awesome um I I have a question mm -hmm. about you talk a lot about mantra. Uh -huh. And so, you know, of course, this is, there's a lot of your work and your study that's been infused into this book. And I'm curious what, what your self-practice looks like if you uh -huh. have one, uh -huh. you know, is it, um, you know, is there a spiritual component that's woven through by your mm -hmm. word choice in the book and by certain things you talk about? I would guess, yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious what that looks like for you. Mm -hmm. You know, as as a recovering perfectionist uh -huh. and also someone who's worked with anxiety and struggled with anxiety, mm -hmm. how what is your practice like? So it's very multidimensional. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, again, <laughs> that speaks to kind of like what I think many of us need is like multi-pronged. And so I'm not one that's like, 
okay, these are like the three easy steps or practices and like bang them off. And I find for me, I'm relapsing very often in like that whole anxiety stew and perfectionism. That's just something like that I have to contend with on a daily basis. So I'm really conscious about anchoring myself with varied practices. So um, there's a few that I really um, like really have to practice on a daily basis in order to be okay. So um, one is just meditation, making sure I'm meditating. Um, also just like not isolating because I tend to overwork and so it can be easy to like not ha make the time for the connections. Mm -hmm. um, I also love yoga. I love to walk. Um, I feel like I'm like a mindfulness on the go kind of person. <laughs> so like, just like, I, and I love the city, like I just taking in nature, um, mm -hmm. but just really working on being in the now. It seems so simple, but it's such a, a vital thing. Um, but I would also say that for me, um, from like that spiritual and soul perspective, there were times where when I first like came into higher education and kind of went through my own educational process, I was, re I'm so like into the science and I get mm -hmm. like, I'm so like, you know, reading and factual and critical thinking. And I think there was a time where I was like truncating my soul. Like I wasn't really tending to my soul. It was easier for me. It's so much easier for me to like intellectualize things and like mm -hmm. process here. And so there's been this journey of like integration of like my whole self and like allowing that again to be messy and imprecise, but mm -hmm. get me to that place where I can like open myself up in new ways. And like, I love just like the frameworks of synchronicity and the ways I think whether someone says God or the universe, but I feel like we're all talking about the same thing that's protecting us. Right. Um, but like we have, and then that's where fighting happens. It's like, well, I think it's this. And, <laughs> but like, if you look at all the frameworks and this was part of the research endeavor, they're all saying the same thing, which is ethics of reciprocity. So <laughs> it's this idea that loving your neighbor and, you know, doing unto others, the, the golden rule, right? Doing unto others yeah. as you would have do, them do to you. So it's this whole idea of like, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And I feel like that's become just such like a focal point for me. Um, my parents taught me so many of those values in my life and wanting to live that out and wanting to really um, like just be loving and to like fight for justice and fight for like just us being more of a human fam, if that doesn't sound like super corny, you know? <laughs> um, so that's been, but like there's tons of like self care, you know, it's like, it's kind of a whole gamut of things that um, I really work to integrate. And then the other thing is sometimes I just stop working at it so hard because I also believe like organically we meditate like this. So, like sometimes it can be like you think like your whole self-care thing has to be this like. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've also like laid off on that a little and let things come and just like finding joy in the moments um, and whatnot too, because sometimes we think it has to be this whole like program. Yeah. And sometimes we need to like throw that program away and like just be a little freer. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. No, I love that. I think <laughs> yeah. one of the things is I used to struggle with was my self care ritual in the morning was like, okay, I have to do this and this and this and this. And like, okay, so I have to wake up four hours before work. And then <laughs> I saw a headline today. It was like, the most successful people in the world get up at 4 a.m. And I was like, no, I'm a night owl. But like, it's that whole, but it does. Like, yeah. you start thinking like that way and then it like loses its whole yeah. point. Yeah. And I like what you said, too. I think from a scientific standpoint, and I've always thought this way, too, is it can be hard sometimes to wrap your mind around a higher power or something like that where yeah. all these people are talking about. And I like from a scientific standpoint, you almost have to look at it, too. Like the universe is 
there are still so many unknowns that yes. there has to be like a little bit of surrendering to the yes. fact that like we don't know everything. Yes. So it's like we have to have some sort of Yeah, like the mystique there. or the faith. Yeah. And I, it is like that was hard for me for a while. I was like kind of going through this whole thing. But at the end of the day, like if you look at like metaphysics and mm-hmm. like science and spiritual have like often bickered. That's how I talk about yeah. intelligence. Like here we are bickering like who's right and who has the right language that they're using and the right schematic. But at the end of the day, like there's, there's like there's all kinds of like synergy there and there's all kinds of like agreement. And I think that that's also a really important thing that we need to get beyond in life is like the fighting that happens because of that. And looking again, like what are those deeper values that we share? What is the common ground we can share? And like, then how do we manifest that and find our path together that way? Yeah. So I love it though. (laughs) Good tip. Like don't make self care such a chore. And I feel like we forget that so much just, joy and like so much pure happiness comes from the moments that we don't know yeah like if we all if we walked around knowing everything yeah there would be no element of surprise yeah and it's in that surprise mm-hmm. that we feel so much joy you're making me want to do an impromptu yeah. reading so this is the last quote of intelligence oh my god so okay I'm, I'm breaking it out and it, but like it is because it's like we look for it, but so this is what it says. It says, everything is cult. We say our vows and ritualize everything as a means of safety and security, albeit a false sense. We're on a perpetual pilgrimage to satisfy, satisfy our souls, to find some inspiration that doesn't exist in the places we're searching. We hunt for something that will set us free. And when we think we've found the Holy Grail, immortality, happiness, easy, healthy, fun, or so-called success, we become obsessed which ironically makes us more bound than ever. So here we go. Maybe happiness instead comes from our imperfections, from brokenness, from not knowing. (laughs) Maybe deprogramming comes through this kind of disruptive process, the one that bids us to entertain ambiguity. The process prompts us to get messy as we cobble together new framings that are contradictory and imprecise but honest and valiant. So that is like the final, the like, whoa. (laughs) But it, like, and it is, it's like. There's the singing moment. (laughs) (laughs) You knew I was going to We had karaoke last night at the work party and I did not do the karaoke, but I did dance. No, no, Alanis. No, no, Alanis did not come out last night. (laughs) But she will. She she will. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, but it is, it's like this whole thing of like, we want like that certainty, but sometimes it's just a big, we're hot messes. And like, the more you can like learn to just say, it's okay, there's going to be a shift. Mm. Like, I think mm. that helps us a lot. Yeah. What a way to end. Well, we we <laughs> do not, have the way, the way that we end okay. always is right. with three seeds. Okay. Three seeds. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So to start, this cannot be one of yours. Okay. What is oh. your What is your favorite book to gift your friends? Oh my gosh, I, I nerd out about this. So The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Yeah, I love that book. Oh my gosh! So anyone that's watching, they're like, "Oh yeah, she gifted me." <laughs> so we actually at Northeastern, we just redesigned the leadership course. So we just finished the semester Monday. They all read Mentelligence and The Alchemist, and every student had to come up with their personal legend, which is code for saying. What is your personal mission based on your values and how are you going to live that out? Mm. So I could like nerd out all day about Paulo Coelho and his story. He was institutionalized because he wasn't following the script in his family to be a lawyer or a doctor. And he was brilliant. And he said, I have a vision to write the book of the century. So that book is seen as like the most influential book of our time. 
Um, so that, sorry, like no, I get, I love that and I love that. Like, for me to be able to pin down a book is really hard because I like, there's so many books. There, there are like 350 references in Mentelligence. So there's a lot of reading, a lot of channeling, a lot of processing. So how about you guys? Sorry, like, no, this or should is, I ask you or your... just want to keep oh singing? Oh my gosh, I know. Oh wait, we, we'll come back to this. Um, what one sentence advice would you give to your 15 year old self? Oh, <laughs> with the big hair? Yes. Oh, don't wear that big hair. Um, <laughs> I would tell the 15-year-old self to listen to my high school English teacher, Mrs. Herman. Oh, shout out to Mrs. Herman. Yeah. She, Mrs. Herman rocks. So she, and all my teachers, but she, um, a year after I was 15, nudged me to enter a speech competition. And that was when I first took my first public platform. And I think that really led to this whole life of writing and teaching and and service so um listen to mrs herman and then also like same stuff i'm telling myself now like practice self-compassion and like find your mirrors and love your neighbor and like break out and like you know don't be afraid and i think again that was a time where i probably had a lot of anxiety as well that's a hard age mm-hmm. um like it gets better so lots of advice to the 15 year old self (laughs) so much we might have to break out some tbt photos later oh my gosh (laughs) i was actually pretty cute at 15 it was like if you go back to like 10 (laughs) please don't ever do that 10 was my peak age really you peaked at 10 wow that's impressive got worse in high school but it's fine all right you're on the you're (laughs) upward spiraling now i really think you are thank you um the last one is what is one seed of awakening you've received in life so either a seed that somebody has told you and just kind of like woke you right up or something um, now that you think about? That's a great question. So um, I feel like that the universe protects us and that I think we all want the same things, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, so I feel like that's been imparted in different ways, I think throughout my life. But I think that's been like a special delivery delivery of recent times, Mm -hmm. Um, but that we're protected and that we need to be connected. That sounds like a little slogan. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about that. But yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. And lastly, where, so for those who are listening, Mm -hmm. where can they find you? Right? So you. It's like finding Waldo. Yeah. (laughs) Where can you find Dr. Chris? (laughs) We can link to all your your fun platforms, but um, you've got, I mean, tell us a little bit about, you've got two books now. Yes. So. Yes. So you can find me at kristenlee.com if you want to go there to kind of find like the TED talk and the books and whatnot. But also like I really like I kind of resist like the market, you know, like I'm really about building the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do a lot on social media, not because I love social media, but trying to just do a lot of like, you know, questions and interactions and such. Um, but pretty much if you go to the website, you can find me there. And I have a lot of articles um, in addition to the books on Psychology Today and Thrive Global. Mm-hmm. And you um, write for Huffington Post Huffington as well. Post, yeah. Post. So there's a lot out there um, to just sort of engage with. And I hope to hear from folks about yeah. the ways in which they feel disrupted and, and whatnot. Yeah. And go on, on your site, you have a quiz that you can take. I took it. You can, yeah. yeah. How did you so, fare? I did okay. Yeah. I'm it's not a pass fail quiz. I want to see it. I'm going to get my red pen out. I should, no, have screened, I should have taken it, printed it out. Um, so go on, take the quiz, watch the TED yeah. Talk. It's really great. So thank you. Thank you so much for oh, doing thank this. Thank you. It's been such a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Keep sharing. Great.